right, good evening, and thank you for joining with us for our midweek time of prayer and devotion. And as folks are uh, joining in, or maybe you'll be watching this later on, I want to mention to you that we uh, talked about last Wednesday a uh, new prayer emphasis on which I have not yet delivered, uh, but it is my intent to do that along with uh, perhaps a scripture emphasis with it. So please be on the lookout that, for that in the coming days. Uh, something that we'll be able to focus on together as we go through the remainder of the summer at a minimum and hopefully to be a blessing to you and a devotional encouragement to you in addition to what we're doing here on Wednesdays and Sundays. I'd ask you to continue to pray. Uh, there are uh, some problem spots around us and we've been blessed so far to be able to meet and worship like we have and then have this time on Wednesday evening as a supplement as we've gone through our Psalms on Wednesday evenings in the summer, and I hope it's an encouragement to you. Tonight we're going to be in Psalm 142, but before I get into the psalm, I want to pray with us, and then I'll introduce the scripture passage and message for this evening. So let me pray for us, and we'll get started. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to gather in this midweek service virtually, uh, thank you for those that are listening live and watching live and those that will be joining in with us uh, later, either through the podcast or watching the video. And Lord, your word is a continual encouragement to us. We thank you for your spirit who walks with us and is our constant counselor. And Father, we uh, have many needs, not just related to these strange times that we're in, but just ongoing concerns and we thank you that you meet us at our point of need and you help us. I pray, Father, that you would give us clean hands and pure hearts and that we would be useful vessels for you, uh, Lord, and serve you well. Uh, open up our eyes to opportunities that are around us that may not be normal opportunities, but they might give us opportunities to be uh, creative and having conversations with people about you and your goodness and your mercy. And I pray that uh, our spiritual lives certainly would not be on hold, but that we would uh, try as best we can to continue to faithfully serve you and make you known. So bless us now as we read your word and as we think about this psalm together. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would continue to watch over us and protect us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to look at Psalm 142. I'm going to read the psalm here in just a moment and a message entitled cry out to the lord you might remember that when david the psalmist was young samuel had anointed him to be the king over israel kings generally live well uh, they have people who serve them and attend to their needs uh, they eat good food and they have the luxuries of life but david at some point in his life because of the opposition that Saul brought against him found himself on the run. He was on the run with an army after him. He had to hide in caves, and he's in a survival mode. You'll note that the subtitle of this psalm is a contemplation of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. This psalm is also subtitled as a Moscow, meaning that uh, it is wise or prudent, something that is uh, success or something that is skillful. And the psalm teaches important lessons specifically on how to be a wise and skillful person in prayer. 
David found himself in the classroom of faith, and he implemented what I would call the curriculum of prayer. He wrote one other psalm that we're for sure was written in a cave, and that is Psalm 57. He was either in the Agilum Cave or he was in En Gedi, somewhere in the region of En Gedi. Derek Kidner, the Bible commentator, said Psalm 57 is bold and animated, almost enjoying the situation for the certainty of the triumphant outcome. But in contrast, Psalm 142 has the strain of being hated and hunted to the point that it's almost too much for David. His faith is what I would say was at full stretch, but his faith was also undefeated, and in it he found hope. So Psalm 142 is going to teach us how to pray, particularly how to pray when we're overwhelmed. I begin reading in verse 1, I cry out to the Lord with my voice, with my voice to the Lord I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him, I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. In the way in which I walk, they have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. So what does it mean to cry out to the Lord, and why should we cry out to the Lord when we feel like we're overwhelmed? Well, first of all, we should cry out to the Lord because he knows our path. He knows the path of your life. Matthew Henry said there's no cave that is so deep or so dark, but we may out of it send up our prayers and our souls in prayer to God. And it's in prayer that we surrender to the will of God. And you'll notice that language here in the psalm. He says, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. I make supplication. I pour out my complaint. I declare before him my trouble. The psalmist is transparent with the Lord, while at the same time, he is surrendered to the Lord. So I think it's twofold. It is a prayer of appeal, but it is also a prayer of allegiance. He said, you know my path, you know the way in which I walk. I love Randy Alcorn and some of the things that he writes in his Eternal Perspectives ministry. And he said, by way of illustration, mountain climbers could save time and energy if they reached the summit by helicopter, but their ultimate purpose is conquest, not efficiency. Sure, they want to reach a goal, but they desire to do so by testing and deepening their character, discipline, and resolve. And in our spiritual lives and in our professional lives even, we improve by handling failure and learning from it, by enduring pressure and overcoming it, by dealing with being overwhelmed and yet pushing through. And it's only by cultivating that discipline and that life endurance and that patience that we find satisfaction and reward. And all of those characteristics are ultimately formed 
through some type of suffering or some type of difficulty. So it's in prayer that we recognize the sufficiency of God. David knew that he was overwhelmed. There was no way of escape. His enemies felt strong. Uh, He felt like he was in prison. And self-sufficiency would have led him to trouble. It would have caused him to be independent of God and ultimately been defeated. But when we recognize our need, what it does is it makes us dependent on God. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 6 and verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. So in prayer, we believe in faith that God will respond to our needs. So let's draw the parallel. God knew David's path. He knows your path. God ordained David's path. God ordains, in a sense, our paths as well. Prayer is how we consciously affirm our dependence on God, believing that he will respond to our needs. You see, God doesn't just start taking care of us somewhere randomly along the way in life. As we saw a few weeks ago in Psalm 139, God knows us even to the point of knowing us in our mother's womb before we even see the light of day. Uh, The prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 1 and verse 5, the scripture says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I sanctified you, and I ordained you as a prophet, a servant to the nations. Uh, F.B. Meyer said, Then it is an infinite solace to look up into the face of the Father and, and be able to say, Before I was born, or before I even took my first step on the path of life, Um, you knew me. You knew everything that there was about me. You knew that it would not be too hard. You knew that your strength was sufficient for my day. And F.B. Meyer said it's in those emergency situations, it's in those overwhelming circumstances that we recognize that, that God truly knows the path that we're on. And then we should cry out to the Lord, secondly, because he cares for our souls. He cares for your soul. Now, the concern of David, if you'll read again in the psalm, is he says, there's there's no one who acknowledges me. Nobody cares for my soul. He looks to the right, and he looks to the left. He sees there's no one who is regarding him. Now, I don't know exactly what he means there. Uh, He may mean that there was no one who was defending him militarily, Or he may mean that there was nobody who was defending his case. I don't think that he was necessarily alone physically. Uh, In 1 Samuel 22 and verse 1, it says, David escaped to the cave of Adullam, and when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became a captain over them, and there were about 400 with him. So I don't know, it might have been either before the ragtag group arrived to support him, but regardless, he's in this place where he feels like nobody cares about his soul. Nobody is there to defend him, not, certainly not from a human perspective. Now this word soul is important because in the Old Testament, it's nephesh. In the New Testament, it's suke. Uh, the Hebrew word means a breathing creature, one in whom life is present 
that means either physical or uh, mental or spiritual. Uh, and the Greek word simply meant life. So think about your soul uh, in this way. I think it's a practical way to think about it. Your soul is who you really are. It is the non-physical aspect of your being. Or to state it another way, your soul is the essence of who you are. It is the part of you that lasts eternally, even after the body experiences death, and we know we'll receive a resurrected body in a glorified state, but the soul is central to the personhood of a human being. So to state it another way, your body uh, doesn't have a soul. Your soul has a body. That's an important distinction. In that, it is the essence of who you are in this temporary tent that we have is what embodies us while we're here on this earth. So the soul is referenced over and over again in the Bible. I only have time just to touch the surface here on how many times the soul is actually referenced in the scripture. But over and again, people are referred to as souls in the Bible. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 9 says, Give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently. Uh, Psalm 19 and verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Psalm 35 and verse 9 says, Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. Proverbs 13 and verse 19 says, A longing fulfilled is sweet to the soul. Mark 12 and verse 30, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 9, You are receiving the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Whatever the reason is for feeling alone in life, in the middle of being overwhelmed, when you look to the right and you look to the left and it seems like there's nobody there that's pleading your case or caring for your soul. You can know that the Almighty God is. He knew about you before you were formed in your mother's womb. There was a moment when you came into being and you were conceived and given life and your soul came into being. We are not eternal. Only God is eternal in terms of eternity past. There was a moment in time in which we were not and then we were. But that moment in which we become then we will continue to always be from a soul perspective. And everybody will spend eternity somewhere, but the question is where? Either eternal life with God or eternal separation from God under the judgment of God. But God cares for your soul, and you can cry out to him knowing that. And then third, you can cry out to the Lord because he is your refuge and your portion. That's what the psalmist says here. God, you are my refuge and my portion. Psalm 16 and verse 5 says, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. Now, what's a refuge? Well, we use that term even today. We think about our, perhaps even our home as a place of refuge or certain relationships that we have in life, people that are trusted, that care about us, that, that walk alongside us in life. Uh, they are a refuge of sorts. Maybe your family is a, is a refuge for you. But a refuge essentially is a shelter or a place of protection from danger. It's a place of uh, protection from trouble. God is our safe place when we need protection. 
You might want to make a note of this and go back and do a study sometime on your own. But there are 45 references to God as our refuge in the Psalms alone. That's a lot of different times for the Bible to mention God as our refuge. And that tells us that we do not have to fear situations or we do not have to fear people who may be a threat to our well-being. It means that God will be our refuge when the threat comes. God will be our refuge when the danger ensues. Now, obviously, this does not mean that God is going to keep us out of all dangerous situations. It doesn't mean that God is not going to lead us into difficult situations. But it means that when he does, and when we experience those things, it means that he will be our refuge in the midst of that. I read an illustration uh, from the world of meteorology. There's a lady by the name of Kim McLean, who's a research scientist at the Cooperative Institute for Meteorological Studies. And she's traveled to a lot of uh, hard-hit cities and towns to understand why people uh, got killed in storms when they should have uh, survived them as long as they could get to the right shelter. And she did an interview with a national news organization and was asked to explain why when people are given warnings of storms coming, why do they fail to heed the warning? And here's what she said. She said, we give people days of alert that their general region may be threatened. But people are really savvy about this. They know that even if a region in general is at risk, that doesn't necessarily mean there'll be a tornado that will hit their house. So people wait until things get too close and they make these calls. And for tornadoes, they typically wait until they're under a warning and then they're just a couple of minutes away. All they can do is really shelter in place. And she said, what people are doing is they're confirming the threat. And she said, they may do this on a continuous basis. They'll be watching and maybe they'll go get their children, but they won't take shelter even though they know that the storm is imminent. Now, what does that tell us about God as our refuge? A lot of people are like that. They only run to God when they've already gotten themselves into such a mess that they can't extract themselves from it. They only go to God as their refuge when circumstances get desperate. And sometimes they've made such a mess out of their lives or out of their particular circumstance that it's hard to get out of it and, and to find the answers. So the pattern for us should be not just to go to God as our refuge when the tornado is a block down the street, spiritually speaking, but to know that there are many trials and tribulations and many troubles in this world. And we go to God as our refuge daily, knowing that those things are inevitable. But if we are under the protection of his wing and we're taking refuge in him, then when the storm comes, we're going to withstand it a lot better. You look in the scripture countless times, God led the Israelites into battles against armies that were more powerful than they were. Yet when they trusted God and they obeyed, he brought the victory. Jesus led the disciples into the boat. He knew full well that the storm was brewing. The disciples were afraid. They thought they were all going to die. They thought Jesus didn't care because he's taking a nap in the boat. And you remember Jesus calmed the storm. So here's the word of the Lord to you tonight from John 16 and verse 33. Jesus said, in me you may have peace. 
In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Jesus is the overcomer, and he will help us when we're overwhelmed to overcome if we'll go to him for our refuge. Psalm 73 and verse 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and he is my portion forever. Then you can cry out to the Lord next because he will deliver you. He'll deliver you. Now, the psalmist says, deliver me, bring my soul out. That word deliver means a rescue from bondage or danger. Deliverance in the Bible is the acts of God where he rescues his people from peril. Deliverance in the Old Testament focused on God's removal of his people out of trouble or out of danger. So God would remove his people from the hands of the enemies, the hand of the wicked. He would preserve them from famine and death and the grave, all that goes along with that. But here's what I want you to note in the psalm when he begins to talk about these things. There is a clear shift in David's thinking and in his prayer from despair to a confident hope. There's a shift you say, why does that shift take place? Well, he starts in the mire of his problem. He is transparent to God about how he's feeling about his problem. He talks himself through it and reminds himself of what God is capable of doing. And when he does that, it's like the light comes on and he moves from despair to a confident hope. We are weak, but God is strong. He delivers us from sin. It's through the cross, through the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are delivered from our sin, through the power of his resurrection. He rescues us in the trials of life. He gives us the power to overcome the influence of the evil world that we live in. And all of this only comes through Jesus. But there is an ultimate deliverance that is coming. We talked this past Sunday about the healing miracle of Jesus with the woman who had had the issue of blood for 12 years and also the raising of the ruler of the synagogue's daughter from the dead. And one of the points that I made in the sermon is that uh, Jairus' daughter went on at some point to die again. The woman who was sick and healed dramatically and then put her faith in Jesus, she got sick again at some point, presumably, and died. Neither one of them were immortal. So the ultimate deliverance that the Lord gives us is eternal deliverance. Now, he does many things in our lives in the here and now. Uh, some of you have experienced miraculous things where God has healed and God has blessed you. God's had a purpose for your life. Maybe he's extended your life or he's done something particularly special for you to bring health back to you because he wanted you to continue on. But even in that, we always look beyond that because we know that God has ultimately delivered us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he is our eternal hope, we won't get caught up in the circumstances, even if they don't break our way or even if the immediate answer is not what we wanted. We know that the eternal answer is always victory in Christ. And if we're in him, then we know where we are where we need to be. Now, there's one last idea here I want to share with you in the psalm, and that is... He turns his attention to praise. 
so you can cry out to the Lord in praise. He begins with a concern. He starts with a complaint. And then he concludes with confidence in the praise that is to come. Verse 7, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. He says, bring my soul out of prison that I may praise your name. Now, there's something beautiful here that I think we don't want to miss in the midst of this praise. And I think it's particularly appropriate for us in this hour that we are in. The psalm began with a sense of isolation. That's part of why he felt overwhelmed. He felt like he was alone. He was isolated. You know, one of the most difficult things about what we've been dealing with is, is just the isolation that we have experienced. We've not been able to experience the life of the church like we normally would. Uh, some of you have been isolated from your own families. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons uh, in the middle of all this that you felt that isolation. But he concludes with confidence in the community of the righteous. And you understand what we're in right now, it's temporary. We, we may feel like we're isolated now. We're not because the Lord is with us and we can encourage one another. We can pray for one another and we can, we can lift each other up as we're going through this. But we've got confidence of the community of the righteous because we're God's people. And that's an eternal community that we get to be a part of. And that's a blessing. And we can draw encouragement from that and we can know that the Lord will deal bountifully with his people he'll bless us beyond with superabundant grace anything that we could ever deserve so that'd be my encouragement to you is that you would be able to take these lessons of prayer understand why you can cry out to the lord as you can and when you do that draw comfort strength and also connect together with the the other people of god who are also praying and drawing their strength and their confidence as well. So I want to pray for us. I hope to see some of you uh, live on Sunday, uh, Lord willing. And those of you who are continuing to worship with us online, uh, glad that you're hanging in. Uh, that's an encouragement. Uh, I don't get to see you, but I know you're there, and, and that means a lot. And, and you can continue to pray. Uh, we really need to be strengthening our spiritual lives during this time. And when we come through to the other side, we can be stronger for it, at least from a spiritual standpoint. So let me pray, and uh, we're going to wrap up our time this evening. God, thank you that we can cry out to you, and you hear our prayer. You answer our prayer, and you draw us close to yourself. Thank you for the encouragement that we get from the Holy Spirit and the fact that uh, you are our refuge, our deliverer, the one who ultimately gives us the ability to overcome. I pray that we would uh, not only praise you, but we would draw strength from the community of the righteous, that we would uh, reach out to one another and be praying and encouraging and contacting and uh, doing what we can during this time uh, to build up the body of Christ. Lord, we want to be spiritually stronger because of it, not weaker, and yet it's a real test for us. Uh, in the middle of it, find, uh, Lord, find us faithful because we know that you're faithful. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you and see you again soon, Lord willing.